All right, welcome to the Industrial Marketer Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. I'm MJ Peters. Hey, MJ, what's going on? Uh, not much. It's uh, it's another Thursday in quarantine. Yeah, still doing the we're all still doing the work from home thing for sure. Um, really excited about this show today because we have someone who's going to talk about something that a lot of industrial marketers deal with, and that is. Um, sort of the B to B to C concept of um, having to generate demand and market towards dealer and distributor networks. And that person that we have on is Karina Edwards from Rightway. Karina, say hi to the uh, audience. Hi guys, nice to meet you all. And Karina, uh, before we get into the questions about you know creating demand gen on a, in a dealer in a dealer network, I want you to um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your journey in marketing, and then about Rightway and and especially kind of the size of your guys' company and how you operate. Yeah, so my journey in marketing, um, I think a lot of marketers can relate to this, is I fell into it. Um, I was actually an econ major and kind of went that route, but then kind of found the creative aspects of marketing a lot more fun. So um, I landed there. Um, I was actually marketing manager at Rightway first before I'm in my role now, which is director of sales and marketing. Um, and basically it was a one man shop, you know, I think at that time we were even smaller. We had 10 people probably. Um, so I was a one person team. Um, and then now we're probably at a whopping 15, 20 people. Um, and yeah, did that answer all the right questions? Yeah, of course. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I thought, Karina is going to be such a great guest today because she's the perfect example of what a small industrial company can do with their, with their marketing presence. Cause I think you guys honestly just crush it. Even if you don't have a ton of followers on LinkedIn or, or your small band, your, your small band with 15 people, like there's very few things that I see that you guys don't do right in my opinion. Um, and you reached out to us to come on the show and we were really appreciative of it. And if anyone wants to come on the show, they have a great idea. Like Karina, please reach out to MJ and myself and, and we'll definitely um, talk, talk to you about it. We'd love to have you on. But you wanted to talk about um, approaching marketing to dealer networks. Um, and I want to ask you, because my own company, uh, when I started at Benzel, I found the approach to marketing to dealers to not be worth the squeeze compared to uh, marketing to the end user and pulling them through. So tell me how you approach marketing to dealer networks differently um, than you do the end user at, at right way. Yeah. So this answer might not be exactly what you're thinking it would be in terms of like how to market to your dealer network. When I first joined on the team, it was really like ramping everybody up and we need to understand the way that our end user, which is for us, the individual truck driver ends up buying our product and what are those channels and so what I really had to go on from a journey perspective was understanding who are our true customers in the definition of what a customer is, and then who are people that are our partners or, and or what are our channels. And so for me, it was really a different approach of understanding these different segments of our business. And so really, you know, our dealer segment is about anywhere from 80 to 90% of our revenue. But in terms of direct marketing and messaging to our dealers, we had kind of the same results or findings that you're mentioning, which is, you know, 
especially if you're a small line of product to their entire line of products, or if you're a small dollar amount, it's really hard to get these dealers to feel it's worth the time to educate themselves enough or learn enough to be able to actually promote your product, right? There's just not enough in it for them. And so for me, I was like, okay, let's reconsider this relationship with our dealers and see them as partners, right? They, of course, make a margin on anything that they sell for us. Um, and obviously that's good business for us because for us, we don't have, you know, we're a small team, we don't have brick and mortars. And so this is basically like an extension of our business. So for me, I wanted to create more demand on the customer side, right? The end user. If we can build demand there, create demand there, that's going to drive more traffic to these businesses. And that's going to warrant them to want to be more involved, to really under, hey, you know, I have 10, 15 people coming in every day asking for your product. I need to learn more so that I can, you know, because at the end of the day, they don't care about our stuff. They care about their customers too. So what we do have in common is the end customer. And so we have tried to approach our messaging to them to be less about, hey, learn about our products and learn how to sell them and X, Y, Z and more of, hey, we you know sell this many of our scales. We have all of these people coming to your competitor you know, down the street or whatever in the next state. Um, how can you leverage this as part of your business? We're gonna drive the demand and basically force them to give our product the time of day. Nice. So you really kind of create almost a FOMO strategy for those for those dealer networks, right? Like, like this is what you're missing out on by not, you know, being a little more, feeling a little more incentivized to, to, um, to carry our product, uh, push our product to the right customer. I wanted to ask you, because you told me your end user is a truck driver. Um, and that's got to be a hard customer to market to because they spend almost their entire day on the road driving. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be using the internet very much, uh, aside from maybe when they're stopping or when they're done for the day. Tell me a little bit about your marketing strategy to get your messaging to that kind of customer. And then also you mentioned wanting to get to know them more. Uh, what did that process look like for you as well? And, and we, can, we can break those two questions up because they're, they're not quite related, but definitely I'm curious to know about both those things. Yeah, so obviously I didn't know anything about truck driving coming on board. And so it was really, you know, we didn't have any social platforms up and running. We didn't have anything um, that was live. And so my first thing was like, A, in terms of learning who your customer is, organic social nevertheless paid is a great way to kind of build that community, especially for a customer like a truck driver. As much as they are on the road, you think about the phone is their only like, connection to the outside world. So they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, they're, that's the way that they connect with the world while they are on the road for two weeks at a time, a month at a time, whatever. Um, so really what I did was just start kind of like a social strategy to try to just create engagement. I never really considered sales in the process and really it's funny because now we're at the point in the business where we have like a marketing budget and we have like variable spend that we set aside for like paid ads. But right now, or when I first started, it was like the marketing budget is to not have one, <laughs> you know, like keep it as low as possible and do what you can without. And so where I really came up from was trying to be scrappy. How can I create engagement, create a demand and create like an inbound strategy with very little money 
Um, and that all, all happened with social. So really messaging and tailoring our product to focus on the end user, focus on, you know, we're not just here to blast our product in front of your face all day. It's more so like we want to consider you in the process and make sure that we're actually developing and delivering something that makes sense for you guys. Um, and so now we're at like 15,000 followers on our platforms, unpaid from uh, zero in the start. And so now we're able to move on to like, you know, an ad strategy that works from a retargeting perspective. Um, but messaging for, I think, industrial, especially segments is so important and kind of overlooked because we're not this like higher end, you know, B2B SaaS kind of software or whatever. It's like we're a hardware tangible product that doesn't always seem so sexy, but um, messaging is still so, so important and really understanding and being able to figure out the pain points for your customer or your end user. What you were talking about earlier about how creating demand for your distributors ultimately is what drives the most distributor engagement, I think points to a really interesting trend generally in how the relationship between manufacturers and distributors is changing because 20 years ago, you didn't have Google, you didn't have social media, you had far less infrastructure around websites. So it was just hard for you to reach the end user as a manufacturer without having a distributor in the city with a physical presence that can go and knock on the door and talk to the end user on your behalf. But all of that's changing so much now. So manufacturers can build marketing as a core competency and can be that demand generation engine on behalf of their distributors. And a lot of the times that's better because manufacturers probably have a better budget for that kind of thing as compared to distributors. How do you think distributors should be responding to really leverage how manufacturers are marketing now within the digital landscape? I think it's hard because you really have to understand, you know, and this may be different for different companies, but in our company or for our business, you really have to understand the business model for those um, distributors and even the people that work there and who are going to be the ones kind of that would promote or sell or rep your product. Um, And for a lot of them, it's relationships, right? And so if we can make them feel comfortable from, hey, you guys, we're going to send this demand to you. If you guys can support it and support us and know that no matter what, we have a great warranty product, you know, we care about the customer. And that's really, you know, these, our dealers um, specifically really rely on creating great relationships with these customers because, you know, today they may buy a hundred dollar, you know, item for their truck, but in three or four months when they need a new truck engine or they need some type of system that's a higher cost, they want to make sure that they were taken care of um, and that they get that business. And so I think if you act a little selflessly in your kind of um, conversations with them to say, okay, it's not just about our product. What is it that you're trying to do? What is it that you guys care about? Um, They feel more inclined to work with you on that strategy and I think they've been happier because at the end of the day they know if they do give sell our product that we take care of them and so because if you think about the relationship with the dealers if something does go wrong with their product they generally won't look at 
the manufacturer, right? They're going to look at the dealer to be like, why'd you sell me this wonky thing, you know? So, yeah. 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 And you, you mentioned something that to me just, it just struck me as really interesting for the trucker dealer network is that these truckers are driving for weeks at a time across the country. And these truckers probably go to a lot of different dealers in different states. So it's probably critical for these dealers to have very consistent experiences across all their different stores um, in order to maintain that sort of customer loyalty for these guys. Cause I'm sure these guys will give them a lot of different business in a lot of different locations. Um, and, and for you guys, that means having to work with all those dealer channels as well, recognizing that's how your end user consumes um, products for their, you know, for their, for the livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that comes, you know, another element of just like price control too. Right. Um, because we do, we basically any channel that the end user could think of to try to buy our product, we try to be readily available there. So we have an e-commerce store, we're available on Amazon, eBay, I mean, like walmart.com, and then all of these dealer networks. And so from a pricing perspective too, you want to make sure that you're on the same page with the dealers of we're in it for the end user. So let's figure out where, you know, cause a lot of the times you'll, you might have a dealer that doesn't sell at MSRP or whatever. And so trying to get them under the same impression of we care about the end users. It's not just about me and yours business. Let's try to give them, you know, the ultimate experience. So yeah, if they go to Amazon and see one price or they go to your store while they're on the road, you know, that they're getting the same experience. Yeah. How do you, how do you navigate that? Cause that's a, that's a problem that a lot of industrial companies have. And that's on the product side, on the sales side, on the marketing side. Um, when they're even thinking about going direct is you know, they have these dealers who have, they give them great pricing. Like, you know, they have the AB, ABCD uh, level pricing and you know, sometimes at A level distributors, like, you know, I get this for such a lower price than, um, and I can mark it up as, 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 as high as I want. How do you, how do you navigate sort of the, that pricing structure and, and kind of come up with a strategy that works for everybody while also maximizing your ability to get market share? Yeah. So I think this is where like, a little bit of my econ background comes in um, because that was that has definitely been a conversation that we've had of like, well, we have this you know X dealer over here who's marking it up you know way more than anybody else. Like that's not going to be great for our end user. We want them to get it at a reasonable price. And to me, the only way you can mitigate that is not by having a conversation with that dealer, right? Only they understand their business model, and it's really up to them as a business to understand how does your business function and what's your pricing strategy? If, and from a business, if you're, if dealers really rely on a customer relationship from a customer perspective, if you walk into a dealer and see that they've marked up a price that you could buy on our, our store or Amazon for half the cost, you've now lost that relationship with that customer because they now know that, you know, you're not leveraging your business the way and, and looking at the market price and giving a fair price there. So I think having our prices, you know, a little bit, I think, again, it goes into what is the real relationship between you as a manufacturer and the dealer? You know, I think a lot of the time and probably historically, and for a lot of different reasons, we've seen distri distributors as having kind of the upper hand. Um, because of the things MJ touched on, you know, a long time ago, we didn't have all this digital, we didn't have ways to reach customers. And that really was one of our only avenues. And now, so it's just one alternative out of a few or many. And so we want them to kind of 
um, saddle up with us, you know, and have a little more skin in the game too in, you know, at the end of the day, you and I both care about this end customer. So let's do our best together as partners to kind of make that business happen. Yeah, the pricing thing can get very tricky too because at least in the US, competition law prohibits manufacturers for, from dictating the price at which a distributor can sell. So you you do rely on that market pricing trend that you kind of highlighted earlier where, you know, if a distributor is marking up the product unreasonably, then eventually the customer it, you know, understands that there's other sources for this product. So in a way, your direct e-commerce channel can help protect customers from price gouging if you have people who are going to do that in your distribution network. And that kind of varies from company to company. I want to touch on something about the business model, which I think is a fundamental difference between B2B SaaS and industrial marketing, where if you're selling a B2B SaaS product, you your company owns both inbound marketing as well as outbound sales like you'll have a direct sales force and you develop your own sales force but you touched on earlier the distributors have the relationships so effectively when you're a manufacturer distribution owns outbound sales and manufacturer owns inbound marketing i mean that's an oversimplification but you actually are the director of sales and marketing how do you make decisions about your distribution network and whether they're delivering effective outbound selling for you yeah i think for me and i think this is going to be a unique uh, the answer will be unique to every company and the scale of your product right so in terms of the the product mix for our distributors our product is very low price. And so for them, that means lower commissions, lower, lower, right? And so it's hard for us to really have a stake in the game from an outbound perspective, which is really why I think in some manufacturer models, 100% the distributor network is going to be that outbound channel. But for us, we're not a priority to them to be as effective, you know, if they have outbound, outside sales reps for their distributor channels, it's hard to get that that rep to really prioritize our product just because of the price point or, you know, the importance of really, it's not luxury item, um, but it is a nice to have item, right? It's not a need. And so like tires would be, for example, in our industry. And so in light of that, we've tried to basically take on sales, even from an outbound perspective, from making because even at the B2B level, because we do have a B2B segment, at the end of the day, no matter what level of marketing you're doing, the end customer always comes full center being the most important priority. Because even at the fleet level, if fleets are buying, which is our B2B segment, they're still buying for the individual truck driver to use it, you know, whether they own it or not, that's going to be the end user. And so I think trying to understand from a manufacturer, um, and you guys obviously probably have different businesses, but like, what is the real center point of your customer journey and how can you leverage that to just naturally push distributors, you know, in the sales process? Right. It's in a lot, in a lot of ways, I, I admire the way you guys approach your, your go-to-market strategy because you really know your, you know, your ICP, you sell to truck drivers and you've done a lot of effort 
uh, to get to know them. I know for our company, there's a lot of different ICPs depending on the product category that we're selling. So mm -hmm. you kind of position your messaging a little bit differently depending on who, what that product category is and who that ICP is as well. I wanted to circle back to your content strategy actually, because you mentioned when we first started talking about um, you, when you were running paid ads and when you were doing building a social community, you weren't trying to get, get that bottom dollar, right? You weren't trying to say bye, 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 bye. So I want you to, to share with us a little bit about your content strategy at Rightway um, and how you were addressing pain points for your end customer um, and, and, and how you use that to drive demand for your product. Yeah, so I think just in general, you know, content strategy has evolved. I think, you know, content strategy has usually been synonymous with like lead gen for a long time. And now that it, there's so much noise in the market from a content perspective, I think with where I sat was, you know, especially in the truck driver situation, they're getting pitched left and right from everything and you name it, right? And so how can we from a content strategy and even messaging strategy provide value over everything, right? At the end of the day, if we um, uphold our values, if we maintain, you know, a good presence online, and if we deliver the right customer service, all of this will come full circle and you don't have to shout in people's faces, you know, buy our stuff. And everything that you create from a content perspective, um, people will stop reading it if that's always what you're hitting on, right? So even from an ad perspective, if every ad you run is, here's a product, buy it. That just didn't translate for our customers and they were more interested and makes for a longer sales cycle, but more effective um, from a purchasing standpoint of this is what our scales can do. We understand you. And that's when you start creating content that is of a mindset of like, how do we deliver value in this content piece to this person? Um, you start to make them understand that they that you understand them right because i think a lot of the times you get even us as marketers get pitched pitched messages where we're like you don't even understand what i do because this doesn't resonate right and so the more you provide valuable content to them that resonates with like okay you do get me especially like in the truck driver role because they're being pitched left and right they start to validate you guys more they respect you as a company because you get them, you're listening to them, and you're hearing their, their pain points from a value perspective and not just trying to get them a quick buy. Yes. Right. And especially, oh, go ahead, MJ. Earlier in the episode, you mentioned that at the beginning of your employment, uh, you did not know anything about truck driving. And it seems to me that in order to deliver value and write content that projects this idea that, hey, we get you as a company, you need to have a deep, deep understanding of your ideal customer profile. How did you go about starting from, I know nothing about truck driving to where you are today, where your company is adept at understanding the customer and delivering content that speaks directly to their pain points? The best advice I can give any marketers at all, all together, but even just especially in our industries is, talk to customers, get on platforms where, you know, honestly, when I was building Facebook from a community standpoint, it was really a way for me to learn more so than anything outside of like building followers and XYZ. If I created engaging content, 
they would comment and they would respond and then I would be able to actually talk to customers on there. And so that was a really huge learning um, opportunity for me from a social standpoint. But then us, I think as marketers, we need to spend time with the customer, whether that's spending time with sales on listening in on calls. Um, I've worked with clients before that use like Chorus, which is like a call recording system which is great because then it's like, you don't have to nuance the salespeople to be like, hey, can I jump on your, your calls? Which I know not all salespeople love. Some salespeople are like, love that you're willing to do that. Some are just like, hey, I wanna run this on my own. So if you have like a sales recording tool, like marketers should be on that and listen because half of the time it is somebody literally saying, hey, you were interested in our product and they will tell you exactly, yeah, I saw this and this is why I wanted to call. And so once you kind of go through enough of those, you'll start to see like a trend and kind of the value prop for them, which half of the time, especially when I was learning about truckers was really like, you know, and we had been in business for like 20 years before we even leveraged like this digital marketing side. And I think some of the, you know, obviously some of the obvious pain points were the same, but there were some things that were really important that were less tangible pain points that we were missing. And that has really helped us connect with our customers. So. Yeah, I, I love that because when you're listening to your customer talk about their pain points, you're able to internalize that intake from a marketing perspective and then go test that message with, with prospects and see how much it resonates. And then you can just perfect and perfect and perfect the more you do it. That's the I think that's the Chris Walker strategy that people see on yeah. LinkedIn right now, right? Yeah. Like, it makes it just when you when you kind of listen to that process, it just makes it makes so much sense uh, when you when you apply it. And it sounds like you were doing that even before he was talking about it. So like just huge huge kudos to you for that because I think a lot of marketers uh, get siloed away from meeting or talking or or, or or visiting with customers. And I know for myself, when I've gotten a chance to meet with customers, I come out with so many more findings. Um, than, than just listening, getting feedback, feedback from my sales team, right? Because, you know, you're the intake, like I said, the intake you'll get from a marketer is going to be different than the intake from a product or an engineering yeah. or a sales standpoint. So, yeah. yeah, I've really found that, yeah, like it even works, you know, because I have done like, hey, you know, we work with this fleet. Can we jump on a phone call with them and try to get a case study going? And the, informa the information that you get out of even those meetings when they know it's marketing facing and for a marketing purpose is just not as fruitful. I feel like if you can get on a true sales call, you're able to, to pull from them in their own words, this is why I'm interested. And that will help you again, like you were saying, like iterate that messaging that really resonates with them instead of trying to kind of give our marketing touch to, you know, this is why you need us kind of thing. Right. I, I also, I've even gotten on calls with customers where I don't have a sales or a marketing purpose. Like it's not a sales call. I'm not doing it for a case study. I'm just asking them open-ended questions. And those are sometimes the best of all, because you can actually approach it. Like I'm not trying to sell you anything and I will take responsibility for anything that you say in terms of whether my brand experience was subpar for you whether you think that the product could be improved in XYZ way, you just like offer them an ear, right? And, and some people are obviously more talkative than others, but man, you can get some incredible insights on how to change your business if you, the whole purpose of the call is just asking them questions. Yeah, 100%. And not being afraid 
Um, I think you touched on that perfectly. Like, I think sometimes marketers are afraid to hear negative stuff um, because, you know, of whatever reason, nobody loves to hear negative stuff. But I think that's, again, to what you're saying, MJ, is like so valuable because if you can, yeah, place that mirror to say, if you, even if you didn't buy or if you're not interested, what is it that's missing um, is so valuable too, for sure. Yeah, that to me circles back to that, to your social media community that you were building where you went through the process of just asking questions and learning, right? Because you built a community without the, without the goal of, of trying to sell, you went in it with the goal of trying to understand. And so when you, and that's what everyone's trying to do on, on, especially on a platform like Facebook right now, like everyone's trying to move to Facebook groups and try to create community. And you seem yeah. like you were doing that well before that was even on trend. Um, so what, what kind of drove you to, I know you said you wanted to understand a little bit more of the trucking community uh, in order to do that. What was the kind of response you got from, from people when you were, when you were going through the effort? And then I think for people who are interested in maybe trying that, how long did it take you to build momentum on, on an effort like that? Yeah, so it is definitely time consuming, you know, and and it's a little scary because, you know, especially if you have an end customer like the truck driver, they are the first people to call you on even if your messaging is wrong, right? Because they're very opinionated truck, you know, to them truck driving is their identity. And so that was a little scary especially being somebody not feeling super comfortable. But that's where I think kind of how I was saying, not being afraid of somebody saying negative or somebody calling you, but just um, being able and confident enough to respond even when it is something like that. And so for me, you know, it took me three months to start figuring out what posts were resonating and creating the most engagement and having the goal of this is successful if I can get people to engage and if I can get to a point where I'm posting things that people are commenting and I can have a conversation with them that way. Um, and so I think if, if my advice to anybody that would want to do something like that would be to really understand why it is you're doing it. And if you're going into this saying like, I'm going to do this quick and then try to get some sales out of it, this is a long-term game. You know, you attribute this kind of like SEO, like, plant your seed here, really take the time to understand your customers. You're going to have to take the time to have conversations. You have to respond back and you have to really digest it, right? It's not a quick like, okay, thanks. It's like people are going to write you a paragraph of what exactly they're, you know, talking about and you're going to have to be okay spending that time engaging with them. Otherwise it doesn't have the same effect. Right. Especially on those social media channels. I can, I can tell you, first off, I relate to you completely on the truckers pet being a lifestyle because I work in the welding industry and welders yeah. look at their job as a lifestyle. Like they, they have, you know, welding torches tattooed on their, on their arms. They have, you know, they post their work on Instagram all the time. It is, it is so lifestyle oriented, just like, just like being a trucker. And I, I can really relate to that in, in what you do in your job marketing. And on the messaging and the conversation standpoint as well, like these people are very opinionated. They'll come find you on your social media channels. <laughs> yeah. like, it is on, it is your responsibility to not close that argument off. You need to be open-minded. You yeah. need to ask questions. You need to be honest as well. Like if your product doesn't fit this need, just tell them like, look, we don't have that product for you. And yeah, this product does that a little bit, does that better. And here's why, because you know, your competitors as well. And yeah. those people will appreciate that honesty because those guys and those, and those women, for that matter, they, they see right through BS because they don't have any time for it in their life. Um, so you need to make sure that you're not trying to, you know, be fake on these, on these social media profiles. If you're not an expert on it, just come flat out and say so. 
um, yeah. and then have an honest conversation with them. And you will, as you said, glean a ton of information and get so much better at your job for it. So those are all points super well taken. Yeah. I think a, a little while ago I read something and maybe this, this might be a LinkedIn thing, but it really resonated with me of like, if somebody asks you, you know, what do you sell or what is your product? Try to think of it in terms of what is the value that it delivers versus like, this is the feature set. And I think that's the same mindset here. It's like, try to commit, create a community based on, you know, what is the value that you guys deliver as a whole company, right? From your customer service to your delivery, to your product, to the features and think of it more that way in your messaging versus, you know, this is a picture of our product. These are the bullet points. You connect the dots yourself on how that resonates to your pain points. And so the more so that you can do that for them, understand them enough to connect the dots that I think has longer um, and more valuable effects. So the way you tell your story about how you got started in marketing, it sounds like you are very self-taught in a lot of ways. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of industrial marketers find themselves in that position of having to self-teach what is effective versus what is not. What advice would you give for someone who is looking to learn how to run a really effective marketing program at an industrial company and might not have a mentor available to them in their business? Um, find places where you can learn, but then also know that you're just going to have to trial and error. You know, again, if you start with the mindset of first, you need to learn, right? Like you can't go to YouTube and say, how do I run a Facebook ad, run it without spending the time to truly, really learn a, your business and the goals behind that. And then also your end customer. Um, and then thirdly to that would just be try it, try everything. I mean, in marketing, there's really nothing detrimental to lose, right? You know, like have boundaries, have the framework in that trial. But um, for me, it was like, you know, I know when I first joined, even talking to the people that I worked with when I first joined the company was like, yeah, we don't do Facebook. We don't do this. Um, social media doesn't work for truckers. You know, they're not very tech savvy. They don't know how to really use technology. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. And that was for me, don't be afraid to go out and find, you know, so I just did research, you know, I went on to YouTube search for us. And there was just like this slew of videos. I mean, we had been in business for 20 years from years ago of like, this is me installing my trailer or my load scale onto my trailer. And it was like, they live here. How do I meet them where they're at? And so um, I just had to prove myself and, you know, document the things that you're doing so that you can come out of it and be like, look, these are the things that worked. And this is how, you know, we can repeat this other places. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and especially in, in industrial marketing, because I kind of feel like we're still five, 10 years behind on, you know, the, the cool strategies that live today. And so trying to like fast pace that, fast track that as much as we can by not being scared, I guess, you know, and not being afraid for something to not work. I personally right. love being five to 10 years behind everything, all the cool strategies, because you can just see what's working for the companies that are yep. and like implementing in your company. And so many industrial companies aren't doing that, that you just get huge payback 
in a way that puts distance between you and the competition. I mean, running Facebook ads for our company right now, our agency that runs them is blown away by how cheap it is because nobody mm -hmm. else is trying to market to the people we're trying to market to. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. you literally hit the nail right on the head. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I would, I would, I would third that. Um, like you, Karina, I, I in-house my Facebook ads. I run them myself and I've done all different kinds and ways, different kinds of content, different content platforms. Um, almost all of them do mar uh, marginal. Well. Some do exceptionally well, like some blog posts that you share that are very high level top of funnel. Um, you know, very good broad events like webinars I've done really well on as well. Video ads do excellent as well. Yep. Sort of high level video ads where you're going through features. Um, but just like you, you know, running the demo ad or the buy now ad doesn't really work well. Mm -hmm. And that's because most people aren't going on social media to buy stuff. They're going there to interact, engage, maybe teach themselves some things as well. So if you have that right perspective going in, um, you know, you'll find the right mix of content for the channel and end up getting huge returns on it, which it sounds like you're, you're getting. Also, really admire that you just went for it and you just broke down that, you know, that, that wall was like, this doesn't work. Like, I mean, I, for any, any marketer listening to this podcast, if, if someone in your sales team or your or executive level tell you that, um, just go ahead and do it anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. like find, find $50 or a hundred bucks in your budget and just run a real high level video ad and then go back to them and say, Hey, look how many views I got at two cents a view. Or you know, or, or right. like the kind of engagement or look amount of clicks I got. Like you'll get more results, and then tell them like, and this is how much we spend on a print ad. And then all of yeah. a sudden, the light bulb is just going to go on for me. Yes. Go, oh my God, we get so much more, yeah. so much more run out of this than, than than what we've been doing traditionally. It's it's just yeah, it's just just go do it. Like that's another yeah that the whole print ad thing is such an interesting topic, and I think only is unique to this industry because when you talk about being like a little bit behind, that is the way that they did marketing for the longest time. And when I first came in, you know, I wasn't like some super savvy marketer, but I did know enough to know like, this is really expensive. And I think, you know, trying to bring back companies from saying, you know, this isn't necessarily a bad way or the wrong avenue to market, from like a print ad perspective or trade publications or whatever. Um, but it's not the most effective, you know, like I could take this money, I could take a fourth of this money, run an effective ad campaign and have better results from uh, for us than this would. And so I'm interested to hear about that too. Yeah. And you can measure it obviously. So you can always take and get that data back and then iterate or test new things. And then you're also benchmarking your advertising efforts as well, which is impossible to do um, yeah. when, you're, when you're doing traditional means of advertising. I wanted to circle to your guys' website, which I know yeah. you told me before we started recording that you worked on. Um, I think right away, you guys have one of the most impressive industrial websites I've seen for a product oh, company um, because it is so <laughs> simple to understand as someone who knows nothing about your company when i went there i immediately knew what you guys made what you guys did where i could find resources to learn more about it and i think the biggest compliment anyone could ever give to a marketer when they go to their website is someone who doesn't know anything about your company goes to it and goes i know exactly what you guys sell do and what you're about so tell me a little bit about um the buying experience uh, you created on that website and then how you went about designing that to be like very, very customer focused. Yeah. So I will 
eat that compliment up because <laughs> when I joined, we didn't have any of this, right? We literally, I think we had like an HTML style webpage um, and some kind of hacked like product selling um, another HTML page. And so the first thing that I did, having absolutely no idea how to do it, um, was built this website. And so with the idea of like, I want to make, you know, when, when I started retail sales, which is basically like direct to the end user, um, from an online perspective, we're pretty much not existent, right. To where now it's a significant portion of our revenue stream. And so I literally went in and as I was learning about this product was like, okay, if I know nothing about this, which I don't, what would I need from a learn and built the website to educate again versus to sell. And so that's where, you know, front and center, it's like, this is what we do. And then this is how you learn about it. Right. Um, I think just understanding that when people are ready to buy, they're going to buy, they're going to figure out how to do that but you want them to understand first and foremost what the product does and how it aligns with what their pain points are. Um, and then again, the e-commerce store was another thing where it was like, eh, you know, like, is it worth our time, you know, money? And I was like, yes, like I want to make this work. And so literally I am a WordPress expert because of this literally just trial and error and, um, it's so funny revisiting it now because I think I do have a little bit of PTSD from just running the pages on my own because now we're at a place where like we're able to work with like a little bit of a web dev team and it's just so much nicer. But um, yeah, I think e-commerce for us was a huge eye opener into, wow, we can actually have direct relationships with the customers even at the manufacturer level. Yeah. How did you do at a previous company, I built and optimized the e-commerce store on WordPress also. So I <laughs> share those battle scars with you. It is, yes. it is a, uh, something I would recommend to any industrial marketer though, seriously, because doing that is one of the best learning experiences I've had. I was able to do it again for my parents' coffee roasting business, like on the side. And it's a lot easier the second time. And it also, yeah. it also makes you more capable at identifying competent web development partners should you want to outsource it in the future. Yes, that has been like so nice because it's like you have a, a really deep understanding of like, this is how long this should take because I know and I've done it. <laughs> so it is really helpful, but I don't know if I'm ready to do a second one for at least another five years. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about when you went or direct to consumer on your, with your website, how did you manage or navigate the dealer dynamic of that when you told them like, look, we're building this, we're building this direct to consumer platform on our website. Um, what was the reaction from them like? And how did you navigate that? Yeah, so that was definitely something that like at the executive level was again, had to transform because I think for the longest time it was this, the dealers kind of have an upper hand, you know, we want to make sure we don't make them mad. And I really had to try to transform that thinking of like, look, if they're smart, which I'm sure that they are because they're business owners, I know for a fact that they will just 
adapt, right? And so like MJ was hitting before, like this was a way for us to kind of take a little bit more control of pricing and taking care of the end users. And so really trying to convince, you know, my management team of look, the dealers, some dealers are going to be upset about this, but let's understand that we're partners. And so they can either choose to be smart about this and just know that there's still going to be a huge segment of our business because naturally our end users appreciate the relationship with the distributor over even buying retail, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding that we just want to be wherever the end user wants to buy. And so if they want an, an, a channel for them to just purchase directly, we need to have that for them because at the end of the day, we're not here for our dealers. We're here for the end customer. And so really we haven't seen a lot of struggle with that. I think um, dealers have pretty much adapted because I think especially with other um, manufacturers, almost everybody today has some type of their own direct to consumer, at least at our scale of product. I don't know if at bigger scales, but yeah. I think you touched yeah. on something really important there, which is the type of customer that prefers to buy through a dealer is oftentimes a different type of customer than the one that wants to buy through your e-commerce store. So when we launched our e-commerce store, not at Firetrace, but at the company I worked at before, SensorX, we saw growth with customers, A, either who were not going to go to a dealer because they didn't care about that relationship or the value add that, that a dealer provides, or B, they were in a geographic location where we didn't have a dealer. And so yeah. we weren't poaching any sales from the distribution network. We were adding a channel that allowed us to reach different types of customers and grow our business that way. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And I think that captures it perfectly. It's like, yeah, there's going to be people who will never buy online, you know, because they just are really appreciative of the customer relationship that's been built with their dealer. Like anytime they need anything, they will only buy through them. And that's something that we've had to be okay with too, even at the B2B level of like, even if we can provide probably a better implementation service, working directly with them, they will not because they have built and love that relationship with the distributor. So <clears throat> definitely trying to be cognizant both ways, you know? Yeah. yeah a lot I mean, of distributors also provide like access to products that you don't want to build as a manufacturer or you know, technical implementation services that you don't want to in-house as a manufacturer. So I think dealers, the, the best dealers will continue to thrive despite of digital marketing, e-commerce. I think they'll find ways to make these new opportunities truly opportunities for them rather than a threat to their business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think my um, my industry is definitely much more behind than both of yours in terms of the the B two B B two B space because we have a couple of huge conglomerate style um, dealer networks and they have really really bad e commerce presence and that's like one of those decisions that as a as a manufacturing company as an industrial company you have to consider is what's the competency what's the e commerce competency of your dealer network as well when you're making that decision and you know it's just one of those things where um, you know, you have to make that, you just have to make that choice. And I know we're going that direction internationally, but there's certainly a fear, a fear of loss, which I'm sure is something you had to weigh a lot as well um, when, um, when deciding to go that route. So it's, it's awesome to hear that you guys have been able to navigate that and find new 
um, new markets for yourself as a result too. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think of it just in the perspective of what we'll lose, which is the relationship with a dealer instead of what you'll gain, which is, you know, a chance to create a more intimate relationship with, with your, with your end user, which, which I think is, you know, a, 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 a better upside when you, when you consider it. I wanted to ask you one more question regarding your guys app. You guys are one of the only industrial companies that I've come across to have an app and it seems pretty cool. Uh, you don't have a lot of ratings on it, but you do. The ones you have are, you know, very highly rated and you had a couple of really nice comments about it. Tell me a little bit about the development of that. What was the impetus of it and what the response to it has been? Yeah. So this is, you know, a different product for us. Um, and it's been around for at least five probably even seven years and basically what it does you know we're a load scale reads weight of the truck um this allows for that to be read on your phone instead of having to like go to the actual hardware and read that um it's been great you know i mean the development of it is always um and our engineer team is amazing and i think that they are fully aware that we're going to end up at this place where we have to evolve from a product perspective to either um, just because of our competitive landscape to provide more of a high-tech offering, even moving into software space a little bit. And so um, I think the development of it was definitely a ring around because you're trying to figure out um, this is something that hasn't been done before in our space. And so trying to find the right team to work on it from a dev perspective was a little rough. Um, but I think we're at the point now where we're leveraging that and then trying to build on it. Um, customers love this again this was again the question of like well truck drivers you know they're not very tech savvy or um and i feel like this has been such a learning curve for our company to understand that we really don't know that you know because there are a lot of we sell those scales and people use the app and they love it and so it's kind of that was a good way to leverage or um launch us into this maybe there is an opportunity for us to take this um, and make it a little more high tech or move into the software model um, because our customers are actually going to evolve to that. Yeah, to me, it was just, it was really interesting. I know, I know in our industry, like, you know, people are looking at other companies who are building apps, IOT, industry 4.0 is all the rage. Um, some spaces or segments within industrial do it a lot better than others. Um, and I find it really interesting that you guys are able to do it with, you know, your, with your one product, which I think is, is awesome. Um, I have a curveball question to throw at you. Yeah. Um, given the um, current shortage of truck drivers and the constant chatter of moving to um, sort of the autonomous truck driver, mm-hmm. um, how are you guys preparing for that um, as that, or are you preparing for it as, um, you know, as that maybe will come to pass over the next, you know, 10, 20 years? Yeah, so that's definitely part of this whole, you know, concept of like, how do we evolve, right? I think we've been in business for 20 plus years, and we're at that point where we're starting to realize in the market that things are changing. And so we're trying to see how we fit in that space. Um, And so we're in the works on that whole strategy. But um, at the end of the day, even if we were kind of in talks with the companies, and even at the autonomous level, they're still will be a truck driver involvement as far as we've heard um so we won't lose that relationship but in terms of the product side weight management will still always be um i don't know if it's a concern but it will always be a pain point and so we have to just 
evolve to meet that space where it's at. And so hopefully TBD in a couple of years, you'll see a different story, but I'm pumped for that. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, MJ, we usually like to leave our guests with one more question before we end the podcast. So I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, Karina, who else do you think we should be talking to on this show? Who else from um, just marketing space? Industrial, anything that you think would be interesting for industrial marketers. So like could be somebody in sales or product development or product management or marketing in industrial or in another industry, but anyone with useful insights for the type of people who might listen to this. Um, I don't honestly, and you guys are going to probably have to edit this out. Um, I don't know a lot of like people in our industry, in our in our in marketing right or even in like the product side um and that's why i think i was so excited to join this because i think we this will really help build that network of people um so i'm sorry i'm not very helpful there but how about this how about how about giving us a name somebody what's that i'm just thinking like the fact that you said that is like kind of interesting like we should start building the community you know like make a linkedin group or a facebook or something yes i'm all about that Let's do it. I think we may have another project after the show now. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Add it to the to-do list. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think even I'm imagining like when I was first starting in this space, it was like so hard because, you know, like I've also worked in B2B SaaS where it's like, there's so much, right? There's so much to glean from, so many people to learn from and follow. We're like, but in our industry, it's so niche and different. Um, and just from the customers or channels you're using. And so it was really hard for me to like, that's why I really had to trial and error everything because it was hard to find that in our space to try to learn or glean information from. So this to me is like props to you too, because I love this so much. Can we tell the audience how they can get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you with maybe any, any questions on, on any things that you talked about? Cause you really imparted a lot of wisdom. Yeah. I am always happy to connect, mentor, just discuss. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my, I don't know if you want me to give like my email address, which is also on LinkedIn. I am happy to connect with people, especially in this like niche industry and help however I can. So, Awesome. Karina Edwards, Director of Demand yes. Gen, which you do not hear that title a lot in industrial. Yeah. <laughs> but Demand Gen Director for Rightway. Uh, yeah. Karina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. If you guys want to listen to more episodes of the Industrial Marketer Podcast, please find us on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, or any other major podcast provider. You can reach MJ and myself on LinkedIn. Please, if you want to appear on the show, if you have any questions you'd like us to cover, our direct messages are open. Uh, You can also reach us via email at industrialmarketerpodcast at yahoo.com. And for that, I am Matt. I'm MJ, and you uh, you might be able to reach us soon on our Facebook or LinkedIn group. <laughs> Absolutely, that, <laughs> yeah. that too. So be on a, um, keep your ear, ears open for that. But in the meantime, this is Matt and MJ from the Industrial Market Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a great day.